Well, I invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word to Psalm chapter, Psalm 65. I want to uh, wish you all a really happy new year, Ashland family. And, and as uh, was mentioned earlier, do be praying for Pastor David, who is uh, sick. Um, but I am so thankful for the opportunity uh, to start the new year off with you all around God's word. And so when you find uh, Psalm 65, uh, I welcome you uh, to stand in honor of the reading of God's perfect word. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together. For joy. Pray with me. Oh, Father, you reign in Zion. The start of this year, you reign. Lord, as we come to your word today, I pray that you would move in our hearts to behold your glory in your word, that you would humble us, that you would move in our hearts to see you as you are and then it would change the way we see everything else help us god to see the world through your abundant provision mark us with an all-filled joy in your son and we ask these things in the name of jesus and for his glory amen you can be seated well, I was shocked by the question. Uh, well, not so much the question, but the fact that I didn't know the answer to it. How is it that I had been on, uh, well, I've been a member of Ashland for a while now. I was on staff at Ashland, and I didn't know the answer to this question that I was being asked. I should have asked this question in my membership interview, and I didn't know how to answer. 
I was sitting across the table at a coffee shop from another student minister uh, in town, who's a friend of mine, and he asked me, oh yeah, by the way, I've been meaning to ask you, what is the Ashland logo? Like, like what's it of? I mean, is it like, like, is it like a house, or is it like a... Um, if we can, like, see the Ashland logo. Yeah, this. He's like, is it like a house, or is it like a... Like, what is it supposed to be of? And in the moment, I, I, like, I didn't have it in front of me. I was like, I, I'll have to get back to you on that. I mean, I, that's what I had to say. I didn't know, like, I wasn't sure exactly. So, upon further research, walking into the church office and saying, what is this? Um, I, found, uh, I found out what it is. And I know that for a lot of you all, you're like, duh. Like, how are you missing that, Thomas? I mean, it's, it's right there. But the reason that it wasn't clicking for me in that moment is that I was imagining kind of looking at it like head on, like straight across. So I could kind of put together the, like, maybe that's an A or something or a letter. I don't, maybe it's just a cool color, cool design. So I, uh, but I talked to Larry Thompson, who designed the logo, uh, about this. And, uh, and I asked him, I was like, is it just me? Did I, like, am I missing, like, what, what, what's wrong with me that I didn't get this? And, uh, you know, he said, well, yeah, Thomas, it is kind of an A, the, the, the top of it is. He said, but the central part of the logo came from a story that I heard. He said, I, I heard this story once about a man who walked into an art shop. And he uh, walked up to a painting in the art shop that was hanging there. He's standing right in front of it, and he just couldn't really tell what it is. He, he actually, the longer he looked at it, the more he thought, this is a really poorly made painting. It's, it's kind of grotesque. And so he, finally, he got the, the art shop owner came over, and he said, hey, what is this? And why is it hanging in your shop? And the, and the owner said, well, to see what, you got to get closer and so he took a step closer to the wall, and he's like, I still don't see it. He's like, we got to get lower. And so he's like, okay. And so he kind of bends down a little bit. He's like, no, 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 you got to get closer. You have to get lower. And so he takes a few more steps, and he's looking kind of up at it. And he's like, no, 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 you've got to get closer and lower. Till the point that he was, the man was at the wall on his knees looking up at the painting. And it's only then that he saw the cross. And he saw the key is to be at the foot of the cross looking up. And Larry told me the point for us is we have to get closer and we have to get lower. That's what this means for us. And that's what it means for all of us. It's all about the angle, he said. Understanding the angle is like having a whole new lens. The, the, the angle was the key, the key to seeing what it actually was. It's only when we are looking upward at the cross, like you're at the foot of the cross, that you see the cross clearly. If you go onto social media, or let's say you're not a social media person, let's say, you know, if you turn on the news, or if you go and sit in a coffee shop where there are people for five minutes, you will notice very quickly that there are so many different angles and points of view in the world about any given subject, particularly if it's contentious or controversial. There were in this last year, there will be this year. The angle from which we see something dictates the narrative that we tell ourselves, and it dictates the conclusions that we come to about ourselves, others near and far, and ultimately about God. The angle and the lens matters. 
But in a world that is filled with so many different angles and so many different lenses and so many different opinions, which angle is right? Which angle should we see? Through which lens are we to look? And that's why we come to the Word of God regularly. Not, not only in your own life where hopefully you're reading the Word of God, but also each week we gather around the Word of God that we might see more clearly to see things as God would have us to see them. And so it is so fitting for us to start this new year off seeing the world through the lens of God's heart and His bountiful provision. So as we come to Psalm 65 today, it's a psalm that calls us to see the works of God and ourselves in light of them. Sometimes psalms have a very clear, specific uh, context, but sometimes uh, they're more of a slice-of-life uh, uh, sort of psalm where it can be applied to multiple contexts, and that's sort of what we have here. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. And I can see it in your all's eyes. You're like, oh, wait a minute. The Thanksgiving thing, that was 2021. That was our theme last year. We're done with that now, right? Like, we're, we're moving on. Uh, and, uh, and I say that jokingly. And, and of course, the answer is, well, no. I've really, you know, I, the more I've thought about it this past year, thankfulness really permeates the Christian life. I mean, it's like the medium through which we travel. It is the ocean in which we swim. Whatever our focus and direction of exalting Christ in 2022, our lives should still produce an aroma of thankfulness. Always. And we see that even in this psalm. This psalm celebrates the beauty of God and calls us to see ourselves in light of all that God has done. So let me invite you uh, to, to join uh, me and to see and behold the awesome deeds of our God. Look at verse 1 and 2. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. This psalm begins where we all should begin, where, where we began today. That God is exalted in Zion, the city of God. And the phrase here is actually really interesting. This praise is due to you. Um, it's translated, it literally says something like, praise waits for you. Or, or praise is waiting for you in silence. Praise. I am so thankful. I think I overlook this blessing too often. I am so thankful for the blessing of getting to gather with my church family each week and praise God. Pastor Nate, not long ago, he spoke to our students about worship. We were doing this sort of Q&A uh, thing, and, and he made this point to our students uh, that praise and worship, it's loud. Like, it's meant to be loud. It's meant to be this thing, uh, this expression of abandon, and it is. I'm going to skip ahead to the end of this psalm real quick. It says, the valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Praise is really loud. And yet, the highest decibel of volume 
is not adequate to ascribe the praise that is due to this God who is enthroned in Zion. He is that holy. And sometimes worship does lead us to silence. And, and not a silence uh, um, that is uh, sleepy or bored or sheepish, but a kind of silence um, that is enthralled and overwhelmed to the point that you just can't find the words to proclaim to your God. This psalm assumes that God deserves praise. And whose who's praise? Well, certainly his people's praise, but even what verse 2 points us to, all flesh, all flesh is in need of this God, this God who is the creator and originator and sustainer. All flesh is in need of this God, and God deserves praise from all flesh. It says, to you shall vows be performed. And this is sort of a, an expression of gratitude in light of God working to fulfill his promises. Now, you may be sitting here today and thinking to yourself, you know, I just not really in a supersonic, like, praise mood. In fact, as I hear this, it feels far from me. You don't know what the holidays have been like for me. You don't know what I'm thinking. You do not know the dread that I feel about the year ahead. As Pastor Nate mentioned earlier, we have all kinds of needs and burdens that you're bringing today, and you're right, I don't know all of those for each one of you. But I know that God's word is true. There is this kind of bondage if we live here where we only see our world through the lens of our circumstances, whatever they may be. If, if that's your angle, if, if only your world and your experiences are your angle, then you approach this psalm, you approach God's word demanding that God give some kind of an account for your life, the circumstances that make it up. If that's the case, if your attitude is demanding from God to give an account for what's going on in your life, if that's your case, then yeah, the, the word of God is going to seem strange to you because that's not God's agenda. That's not what God is seeking to do in his word. But if you would dare to start first with God's word, to believe and cling to his word with everything that you are, and to believe that this is true, to let his word be the angle and the lens through which you see everything else, then it could be that this will be the greatest year of your life. Not because of all the stuff that you'll get, but because God would be at the center that God would be on the throne. You were made to live by His words. You were made to live with God on the throne. Any hope that comes from this psalm or from your life has to start from the place that God is God and He is worthy to be praised by all and in all seasons. And it makes sense, too, because we start to hear this tone of neediness in the psalm itself, like this, this awareness of how much we need God. Verse 2, oh, you who hear prayer. Isn't that beautiful? 
that the God that we serve is a God who hears prayer. He's not deaf. He listens and he hears. And once again, all flesh is coming to him. It points ahead to how all the nations will have their hope in God. All need the God of Zion. And we see why in the next two verses. Verse 3, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. We see this God who, who brings near those who were far off. When iniquities prevail against me. Verse 3 cuts through all the um, perceived and in real needs to the need that we all have. Something that unites us all, that, that puts us all on level ground. That we have all sinned and transgressed against the holy God on His throne who alone is worthy of our obedience. When iniquities prevail against me. This is the common and tragic experience of all the power of sin and its consequences. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. The Apostle Paul later says in Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were by nature children of wrath. And yet, God atones for our transgression. We serve a God who acts on behalf of those who have spurned His name and rebelled against Him. Atone literally means to cover a debt. And that is the need of all flesh, the need of all people. Verse 4 says, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. The idea of a rebel bound to sin with a legacy of death being welcomed in with open arms to dwell in the courts of the living God where life floods His throne room like water floods an ocean. The word that comes to mind is indeed blessed. A kind of blessing that's undeserved that kills all kinds of entitlement that we might think ourselves when you pray when, when you think about what you need from God when you think about what you ask God for I think a lot of times when we think God's provision we think uh, you know we pray for more money or, or to have the right job or, or uh, the, the, be in the right place right home we pray that God will provide for our material needs which are indeed real but we see here that our greatest need is to be in a right relationship with God. And that only happens through the atoning work of Christ. Ultimately, our need is the goodness and holiness of God. You, you need nothing more than you need the righteousness of God, bought only by Christ. There is no greater need for any, every person in this room. And there's this, I love in this text, there's this sort of tabernacle language 
as well. To dwell in your courts, to be satisfied with the goodness of God's house, the holiness of his temple. You know, this past year, we've, we've spent a lot of time in the book of Exodus where we've, we've seen this uh, beautiful picture of God bringing his people out of slavery to dwell with him. Just finished a Christmas series called Please to Dwell. Something glorious about God dwelling with his people and his people dwelling with God. This great God who hears, in verse 2, who hears our greatest need is the same God who answers with the only thing that will satisfy, and that is the righteousness of God. One more time, look at verse 5. It says, By awesome deeds you answer us with your righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. This psalm points to a fulfillment that's coming, a hope that is not just for Israel, whom God had chosen as his people, but a hope to the ends of the earth, to the farthest sea. This psalm anticipates a salvation that is so great that all flesh might receive it. All who would come in need of being satisfied, who would repent of their transgressions and cry out to the only God who can provide the righteousness they need. The only God who can give himself And he has done that. He has given us himself in the person of Christ. God has done awesome deeds of deliverance and provision all throughout the Old Testament, but now we see the awesome deeds of God in a person. And that person is the righteousness of God. Jesus himself. Jesus became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus fulfills the promises that are made in this psalm. He's the hope of all the ends of the earth and of all flesh. Which means something in uh, the redemptive historical context, but it also means something for you right now. I don't know where you are today, but I know that you are are not too far for God to save. You are not beyond hope. No matter what angle or satanic web of despairing whispers you might be listening to, if you have ears to hear today, hear the word of God that His deeds are awesome and His work is righteous. His answers to our prayers are righteous. He is the hope of all the earth, of every heart, including yours. The God of Zion is the God of salvation who brings near those who were far off. But next we see that God does something else. He, he calms in the chaos. We are, that we are, are inheritors of that calmed in the chaos. Look with me at verse 6. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. Now, this may sound obvious, but I think we forget it. The God who is mighty to save is mighty. 
He is mighty. He is strong. He's powerful. He establishes mountains. Who establishes mountains? God does. Our God does. He's a God who stills the roaring seas and the roaring of the waves and the uproar in the nations. And there is something really powerful in this text as it kind of transitions to some of this uh, nature, natural metaphor. The creation is saying something about the character of God. And this God delights to demonstrate his might by setting up mountains and by calming seas. When I think of might and power, I think of things in my mind, powerful things, fire, splendor, epic action and works, which are all happening. But here, might is expressed through a stillness, through a calming, a God who stills, a God who calms, who is sovereign over the waves of the seas and their roaring. And there's this sort of zooming in here, the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves and the tumult of the peoples. Now it's personal here, the peoples. God is ruling and he is reigning over the sea that is loud and tumultuous. And, and he's not, and also he's not like barely holding on. Like it's not, he's barely holding on and barely sovereign. He is completely sovereign. He is enthroned as the seas roar. In a psalm that is joyfully declaring the beauty of God's provision, that, that champions God's goodness in a way that leads to joy. I think it's really important that we see here, this, is not the, this psalm does not pretend like there are no difficulties. Like, it's not like as if thankfulness was some kind of a band-aid you can just slap on and it would just make all the problems go away and be erased. The psalmist doesn't do that. He acknowledges the real problem and the weight of sin and its consequences. He acknowledges the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. This is not just a, well, be happy, y'all. It's not that kind of a psalm. It's not the kind of God that we serve either. This psalm invites us to see our real and close and painful and confusing and chaotic feeling lives through the lens of God's bounty and His goodness. It's not easy. It's something we have to fight to do often. But it's the path to freedom. Doesn't mean that every single thing is good or that we rejoice for every single thing It means that we rejoice in all circumstances, that we cling to the truth that God is working all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Our God is mighty, and He demonstrates His might and His power and His sovereignty through the establishing of mountains and the calming of the seas. Why? What's he doing? Verse 8, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. So that the world would be in awe of our God. Are you in awe of him this morning? Are you in awe of him? Do you marvel? 
at the glory of God this morning? And if so, do you add your voice to the rest of creation in speaking and proclaiming the goodness of God? How often do you talk about the awesome deeds of God? How often are you silent about the mighty deeds of God? If proclamation is loud, why do we so often remain silent and not in a holy way, but in a sheepish kind of, oh, I don't know if I should say, sort of way? I think that sometimes we fear that others will not be in awe of the signs of God when we talk about them. I think sometimes we're afraid that people are not going to receive God as we want them to, and so it makes us fearful. So we kind of default to this silent, uh, sheepishness, comfortable with others being distant so that we don't have to feel uncomfortable. What if God doesn't get a good reception when you talk about some really good news for us today. God is not afraid of that. God does not fear his own reception, and he does not need you to fear it for him. For the earth and its bounty all belongs to our God. He makes the morning and the evening to shout for joy. It's all his anyway. You are, don't think when you proclaim the glories of God to your neighbor who's looking at you kind of, well, I don't know about, don't think that you're the crazy one. You're the one who sees to the bottom and sees the truth. Let your praise be loud to God wherever you go, to the ends of the earth. It's it, the way it talks about, he makes the morning and the evening this end and this end, to shout for joy, the end of one year and the beginning of, of another. Proclaim His glories in this new year to everyone from the ends of the earth to your next door neighbor. And finally, we see that as God works the seasons and we are crowned with abundance. Crowned with abundance. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. This verse talks of the great God of Zion visiting the earth. You greatly enrich it. God delights to provide, to fill the earth with life, new life, and abundance. It's something He delights in. You know, being a parent uh, has given me a whole new perspective on God's parent heart of delight. So um, I have a one-year-old son, uh, one-and-a-half-year-old son now. His name's Peter. And I've found that one of the things that I look forward to most in my day is eating with him at the end of the day. I just really enjoy sitting down and watching him eat. He's like, shovels in the food you know he's like so hungry and he just with glee he is just downing left and right this food and then when he's eating it all he's like mo peas which means more please and uh it's there's something that i so enjoy about him eating there's something that brings me delight in seeing him satisfied and seeing him grow now he's one and a half so maybe at some point that'll wear off I mean, I've been in the, uh, the high school men's host home for Reality Check weekend and, you know, watched 
four high schoolers shovel away five whole pizzas in under 20 minutes, and that'll make you lose your appetite pretty fast. So I don't know if the delight stays forever, but for my son, uh, for this time, I love it. And at the same time, I tell my son no about things. Like, there's plenty of stuff he wants. I tell him no, he can't have. Sometimes it's stuff he just doesn't need, like a Sharpie uh, marker. Like, yeah, I know, you don't need that. But sometimes it's stuff that will really hurt him. Like, Peter wants to reach in and open the oven when there's food in it. And I tell him no. And I'm like, no, hot, it'll, it'll burn you. But he can't see it from my angle. And so he, he sort of, like, he cries, and he's like, oh, but, but there's food, and there's a pizza in there. And I tried really hard to communicate with him. Parents, do you, do you feel this moment where you're trying so hard to communicate to your kid? No, oven, hot, ouch, no. Like you're, you're trying to help him see and he just can't see to it. He thinks I'm, den- he has this look of, oh, he, like he thinks I'm denying his happiness and really what I'm doing is preserving his happiness. He wants the pizza, and I'm like, if you'll just wait, I'm going to take it out of the oven, let it cool, cut it up, and it's going to be great. But if you eat it now, you are not going to enjoy it. It's going to burn you. Why doesn't, like, parents, again, you get this moment. Why doesn't my kid just get it? But honestly, every day that I'm a parent, I am starting to realize more and more that I'm a lot more like the child than I am the parent. And aren't we all? Like, how often do you look up to God frustrated with the state of your week, silently doubting and, and um, thinking, believing that God is withholding something really good from you? That he's being stingy. Like, we, so often we say to God, why didn't you give me that? Why didn't you provide more here? Why did you take this away? When all along, the loving heart of our Father is providing what you need. He's satisfying you with blessing and with His goodness. He's overwhelming you with His blessing. Look at what verse 11 says. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Like if you imagine like a wagon loaded down with the fruit of the crop, and as it's kind of um, going across the road and hitting the bumps, just overflow abundance is pouring into the tracks that are made by the wagon even the overflows of god are abundant and then it says in verse 10 by the by the rain and the river of god he is preparing the world to receive this abundance now keep in mind this is an agrarian society so there's a lot of nature, rivers, pastures, hills, meadows, all around is teaching you something. All around is, is, is proclaiming God's blessings and His goodness and His bounty. Now, we're not as agrarian, I, I would say, but the principle still stands for us today. Look around your life. Look at who's sitting next to you. Look at your, the, your friends and look at this gathering. Consider your family, your, your friends, kids. Consider your parents. Parents, consider your kids. Consider the food that you got to eat this morning, that you're planning to eat today. Consider that you're holding God's Word in your hand. The evidence of God's provision is everywhere for us to see. 
And so often your angle is that you think, you, you see what you think is missing and you presume upon what isn't. You become entitled and you miss the abundance that's already there by God's hand. You know, this time of year, it kind of makes me think about uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life, uh, which if you haven't seen it, it's about this ambitious young man named George Bailey who lives in this really small town and he uh, um, has all these great dreams and ambitions to go explore the world and to build empires and do all these great things. And, and as the story goes on, he, uh, all his friends leave the small town. He doesn't. He stays. He's faithful. He works uh, really, really hard and, and on behalf of others oftentimes. And so he never becomes this rich tycoon. And uh, he begins to despair to the point that he feels like, well, maybe my life was just a waste. Maybe my life, maybe the world would be better off if I wasn't even here, if I was never even born. And so without giving anything away, if you haven't seen the movie, he's, he's given this gift to see and to imagine what the world would be like if he wasn't alive. And, um, and he realizes how quickly, in a, in a bad way, uh, the the world would be changed and he would be robbed of great things. And a friend tells him in this light, in light of George Bailey's seemingly mundane existence, he says, you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. He had missed the abundance in the mundane. And at the end of it, you're like, how could you have missed that in your life? And for us, how do we we, blessed of all blessed, miss the bounty of God. We see God's crowning bounty. Like, we, somehow we miss what he's doing, that the storms, the tumult, or, or even just the everyday difficulty, we think that this is intended by God to cause us harm. And really it is God working, when in reality, if we could see his lens by faith, we would see that all things are working together for the good of those who love Him. That really God is working wonders for His children beyond what they can think or imagine or see. If you are His, is showering you with blessing. Remember, we're not the parent who can see it all and have it all together. We're the child who doesn't understand how an oven works. Sometimes we, need, sometimes we need to step away from all we think that we are missing and see the world. So, some of you may just need to walk outside and watch it rain today to see how God provides life. At the heart of this psalm, there is a river. Now, water can have a lot of various meanings and, and effects in, in the Scripture and in life. Judgment sees tumultuous destruction, but here it is indicative of life. Look at verse 10. Uh, well, verse 9 it says, The river of God is full of water. Verse 10, You water its furrows, the world's furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, blessing its growth. Verse 12, the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows close themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. And they're all shouting for joy. There is this snowballing of life that is flowing from the river of God. 
from himself. So what is the right angle? What's the right lens through which we are to see life clearly? At the end of every service last year, we said together, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus for you. In Christ Jesus. Thankfulness is God's will for you in Jesus. You are to see all things in light of Jesus. You see blessing because of Jesus. Jesus is the angle. Jesus is the lens. Jesus is the holy prism through which we see the limitless colors of God's unending provision. We approach this Christ and this reigning King lowly and closely. We draw near. He is abundance realized. And still, the source of life is this river of God. And we see this all across the Bible. Psalm 46, there is a stream, who, there, there is a river whose streams make glad the, the city of God. This psalm is heralding, anticipating, a river. In John's vision in Revelation 22, at the end of it all, it says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing, here it is, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve fruits, Twelve kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were, of, were for the healing of the nations. This is why 1 Thessalonians 5.18 makes sense. The river was flowing from the Lamb who brings life where there should only be death and barren earth. And He brings life, and not just life, but life in abundance Grace upon grace, see into your life and beyond just yourself. It is the only hope that you have for seeing the right angle. You don't deserve this life. You don't deserve this abundance. It is not your right to receive grace upon grace like this. You see how realizing what you aren't entitled to makes you aware of the abundance of God and thankful for what God has provided in Christ. Apart from Jesus, we're blind to the glories of God. We can enjoy gifts, yes, but it's severed from a giver. It's like opening a Christmas present not knowing who to thank. Jesus is the one through whom all blessings of God in this world and in your life are to be realized. The river flowing from the Lamb is for the healing of nations, which is what we've already seen in this text. To the ends of the earth, the farthest sea, the hope of the farthest heart. Behold our enthroned God who crowns the year with his bounty. Let's pray. Father, I thank you 
that you are a holy and mighty and good and gracious God. Even when we can't see to the bottom of your goodness, even when it's hard to see, Lord, I pray for those who are here today that you would help them to see more clearly through the lens of Christ. Father, if there are blessings in our lives that we assume or that we are in, feel entitled to, Lord, would you break us of that? Would you open our eyes to see again your goodness that we don't deserve? Would you move in our hearts even now as we respond to your word? And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.